The uh, the college football football playoff rankings show every Tuesday night. This one intriguing because it really does set the table for what the college football playoffs going to look like after the conference championship games take place starting on Friday night. We'll actually have the Pac-12 championship game uh, t- on on Friday night here on ninety nine nine The Fan. We'll, we're actually an extended edition of the OG on Friday from Charlotte ahead of the ACC championship game. We're we're going till seven o'clock. Well, bonus OG time. So. The college football playoff rankings have Georgia and Michigan 1-2. and two. That's pretty obvious. And then you've got TCU undefeated going into their Big 12 championship game at number three. Makes a lot of sense. Here's Southern Cal headed to the Pac-12 championship game uh, after um, after they wrapped up their regular season. 11-1, and one, they're number four. All those things that make sense, right? No complaints. Now we get into the what if portion of the college football playoff and really solidifies some thoughts that we've had with this thing since it started. Ohio state is listed at number five, followed by Alabama and Tennessee. Now we'll put a pin in the whole Alabama, Tennessee six and seven situation, because it's more important to focus on Ohio state at 11 and one. It's entirely possible that Southern Cal loses to Utah in the Pac-12 championship game on Friday night. It could. It, 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 it could happen. Lost to them already this year. So what if they do lose? Do they stay at number four? I don't think so. Not with two losses. Not with two losses. So Ohio State, because they're not in the Big Ten championship game, sitting at home, flipping burgers, as Dabo said a couple weeks ago. I mean, do they elevate to the four spot for doing nothing? It's happened before. Sure. It's actually happened in the inverse, uh, where it was a Big Ten team that got knocked out of the college football playoff in favor of Alabama. So that's, I think it was 2017, where Wisconsin lost in the Big Ten championship game. Alabama was sitting at home, not in the SEC championship game, but because Wisconsin lost, Alabama was elevated to the four spot by virtue of doing nothing. How, how does that make sense? If the entire point of the college football playoff committee is to look at the totality of your season how is it that making the conference championship game and losing it penalizes you versus somebody who didn't make it to their conference championship game? By virtue of getting to the conference championship game, I feel like you've already had a better season than the team that didn't. And just because you lost in that moment shouldn't eliminate you from college football playoff contention, which gets to the question, Joe. What if they solidified the college football playoff rankings? Who was going to be your top four? Who would be playing in the playoffs? last night as opposed to after the college uh, after the conference championship games uh you're giving me flashbacks to the 30s 40s and 50s when they picked the national champion after the regular season before the bowl games were played Mm -hmm. either the games are part of the season or they're not so i I think the conference championship the way that it's set up now i I understand what you're saying there's more of a punishment here Mm -hmm. for the teams to potentially lose than there is but i would just say win your games and you don't worry about the rest um what you're subtly advocating for is the expansion of the playoff and we get to the point where yes the top six rated conference champions are automatically in Mm -hmm. the playoff this, that's that's kind of where we need to get to on this. We're at that point now. If it's not crystallized to you why four has always been a mistake, I, I really don't know what to tell you at this point. Um, in order to determine the college football champion, the BCS era of two teams made a lot of sense. And there was some controversy, obviously. But all you're asking is give me the best two teams of the year, have them play in one game, and then we call it a day. 
And I don't think anybody would get mad if Georgia and Michigan played a championship game at this point. I don't think anybody would be mad about that. And more often than not, it would work itself out. But we don't want that. It's been abundantly made clear that we don't want that. We actually like playoffs. We want an expanded field. We like brackets. Four never made any sense. Six would have been an ideal situation. But you know what would be even more ideal than that? What they should have done from the jump, and they probably would have stayed at this spot for a very long time. They should have just started with eight. Because the one thing that you always love to talk about was the agreement that the Power Five conferences made when they made the college football playoff. Yeah. What was that agreement? Think about it. Five people got in a room mm-hmm. and said every year one of us is going to get left out. That's how great the money was, that five people got in a room. Theoretically, five competitive people got in a room and said, you know what, every year, at least one of us, by the way, mm-hmm. is going to get left out. There's been years where two, two of, of them, them have been left out. So that part of it never made any sense to me. Yes, money talks. I get that part of it. But this gets back to the competitive portion of this. Mm-hmm. You said eight. I, you know what, Joe? I wouldn't have hated six. I, I don't mind giving teams a, a buy, an actual buy. Sure. Not a week off, an actual buy in a bracket. Um, I enjoy that portion of that's where you reward a team for having, you know, hey, you won your league. Mm-hmm. You went out and won the championship game. This is your reward. You get one of the two free spots. We see that in the NFL. You get, you know, the top team now gets a gets a buy into the into the second round of the playoffs. I would like that. It's obviously not going to go that way. I, I think 12 is the number they're going to come to, and that's four buys. So, you know what? I'm all for progress. I, I always said that eight would make a lot of sense because you would get your Power Five conference champions, your automatic, automatic bids, right? You would include a group of five to avoid getting sued, and then you'd have your at-large bursts. That would be your SEC teams or your Notre Dame or whatever it is that would work their way into it. Eight always seemed like an ideal number to me. But 12 is fine. I got no problems. And I feel like they they should get to this sooner rather than later because there's another aspect of this as well. We got Clemson and North Carolina on Saturday. Now, from from Clemson's perspective, they might not be feeling the vibes. Sure. From North Carolina's perspective, they absolutely are because there's still some goal for North Carolina to win a conference championship for the first time since 1980. So... But the reason why people are kind of shrugging their shoulders ultimately about this conference championship game is because it has no implications whatsoever. Wouldn't it be interesting if this game meant the winner would end up being in the college football playoff? That would actually make the stakes a lot greater than the conference championship. And we have to kind of unglue ourselves from how we've done things for a very, very long time. And this relates to college basketball as well. I mean, how many times have we talked about the importance of the ACC tournament being diminished every single year? Well, you've absolutely done that in the college football playoff era with your conference championship games, where you are setting games up that mean absolutely nothing. Well, you would do that. You would change it if there was an automatic qualification. Or let's say in once they get rid of divisions in the ACC, which is going to happen next year, and you got two top teams playing, it could be the difference between home field advantage and not. Yeah, you know that matters too, and we see. And this- again, that first round buy can only go to a conference champion. Yep. So so and you know we we sit here and we we talk about the dilution of the regular season. Well, don't we obsess over this stuff and foot in the NFL all the time about who gets home field advantage, who gets the buy, who gets all that kind of stuff? The same things would apply in college football. Yeah, I agree. So it, it, the the idea that somehow some way that the expansion of the playoffs is going to diminish what we see in college football, I've always thought that that's a dumb argument. It's not fully thought through. If you wanted to advocate for going back to the BCS, I'm more willing to hear that 
than anything else because I get yeah, the money's not there for that. The money ain't there for that. But from a purely like, what do we ultimately care about? I get arguments to go back to the BCS, but that ship has sailed for the very reason that you just laid out. Money is the driving force here. Well, give us more games, you get more money, more inventory, and everything else. You, you're watching this Poland Argentina match with rapt attention, Julia. No, I'm not. I, I, I'll explain it to you out there. Okay, I'll explain it. You got Matt, We did the uh, the line change. As Adam Gold was uh, was leaving his show that he does from twelve to three, and when we're coming in here, you were mad at him about Messi or something. Uh, I just don't understand how you can be the best player in the world and not finish ever. <laughs> like, and I get it. There's an artistry to it, but of course, of course, of course. It's the OG alongside Joe Gilio. I'm Joe Ovius. Speaking of Gold, we'll get two minutes with the Canes. Break them up. Two wins in a row in overtime last night against the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, we got two minutes, and the ACC Big Ten Challenge rolls along with Duke and North Carolina tonight. We'll get into it next. Break up the Carolina Hurricanes. Two two wins in a row. That's winning overtime last night against the Pittsburgh Penguins. You can listen to Adam Gold do the Canes Corner podcast, brought to you by the Aluminum Company of North Carolina. You can find that wherever you get your podcasts. Apple, Spotify, Google, you name it, we're there. Five stars only. Positive vibes only. Here's two minutes. Two minutes. Two minutes. Two minutes. Let's do that hockey. It was the great Lou Brown that once said, we won a game yesterday. If we win today, that's two in a row. We win tomorrow, that's a winning streak. It has happened before. Carolina Hurricanes, for just the second time in November, won consecutive games. Yippee! Saturday, they beat Calgary. Last night, they beat the Pittsburgh Penguins, both by 3-2 scores, both with the game-winning goal being scored by Brett Pesci. That's right. This one comes in overtime. Take a listen. Heavy hit by Jarvis, and the Canes will get this out. It's Pesci, 2-0, in on Jari. Back to Pesci, he scores! Brett Pesci, his second game winner in his many nights, and the Canes get the extra point in Here's how the play unfolds. Seth Jarvis, the 21-year-old little guy, just completely trucks Brian Rust right by the boards. He's flat on his back. Jarvis and Andrei Svechnikov, another young guy. These two Utes get the puck over to Joe Pesci. I did that on purpose. And he scores in a two-on-O with Andrei Svechnikov. Did you say Utes? Yeah, two Utes. What is a Ute? Oh, excuse me, Your Honor. Two youths. That's right. The two youths. Are those instant grits? Seriously, Hurricanes needed a good win. They won for the second time in a row. It hasn't happened since the beginning of the month of November. And we'll talk to you from St. Louis, like I'm going. Canes will be in St. Louis on Thursday. Thanks to our good friends at Dysart. Willis, two minutes of hockey. I got to know where I got that Christmas song from. That was quite uh, quite the tune there. That's Adam Gold. That's two minutes. You can get more in the Canes Corner podcast. Find that wherever you get your podcast. I was slipping through watching some hockey last night and also the ACC Big Ten Challenge uh, with uh, with it, it continuing tonight with Duke, Ohio State at Cameron Indoor Stadium. I think 7.15 is tip-off tonight. And then at 9.15 is going to be Carolina going to Indiana. Good win for Virginia last night on the road at Michigan. Big comeback. Yeah, it's it's funny. Like, I uh, I had tuned – I had flipped over when Michigan had gone on a run and it looked like 
Virginia was going to find itself, you know, having a having a rough night. Uh, but Michigan's get, Michigan's had their own woes this to to the start of the season so far. And I will say this about Virginia. I'm not saying it's national championship Virginia where they actually showed some teeth. They had some offense. They had some dudes that year. No, this team can score. Virginia can score this year. They can absolutely score this year. And we understand um, Tony Bennett's ruthless efficiency and how he likes to run things can be a bit of a slog. But this team can score, and that's going to be a problem in the regular season. And I think you and I are both on the same page. Virginia's going to win the regular season again this year. Yeah, I they like, just don't. They don't give away games. They really you can, don't. You can see Carolina or Duke giving away a game or two, but Virginia just does not. Now, particularly at home. Now that's not to say that Carolina and Duke can't find themselves. I mean, in te- at least in terms of talent, they're not going to find themselves uh, being contenders in the NCAA championship, right? The NCAA tournament. I'm just saying for regular season purposes. Oh yeah, they're two different things. Two two totally different things. Yeah. And I think both same with two totally different things between Duke and Carolina tonight. Uh, Carolina. And Duke have flipped, okay, for a variety of reasons. Carolina last year was the, let's see how this plays out with Hubert Davis and this group. We know the rest is history, right? But there were no expectations, no no real expectations for Carolina last year if you were being reasonable. It was, hey, man, Hubert Davis has never been in this position before. Let's see him get his sea legs, so to speak. Let's see how this group comes together. And through a, a matter, and, and of, they struggled early, and they really did. Yeah, but obviously we know the rest is history. But this year they're the ones with the expectations, whereas Duke last year was the one with all the expectations and everything else with Coach K and the farewell tour and everything else. But and we talked about this last year with with the Duke Blue Devils. Mike Shashevsky's not calling his shot unless he unless he believed that that was a group that could go right. All right, and they got to the Final Four. We know the rest is history. But what applied to Carolina last year, I think, applies to Duke this year with John Shire in this group, which we know nothing about. <laughs> we know nothing about. Um, they've had two high-profile games, and they've lost those two high-profile games, Kansas and the Champions Classic, and then they got to the uh, the Invitational, the Phil Knight Invitational, and they lose to Purdue. They got Ohio State tonight, top 25 matchup. But as it, as it relates to Duke, I still don't know what this group is yet, and that's fine because it's yeah. just November basketball. Well, they've also had injuries. To, they're too most talented players, mm-hmm. Lively and Whitehead. You know, they're going to be a different team once those two guys figure out who they are. I can tell from what I've seen from Lively, though, like he's not Paolo Bancaro. He's mm-hmm. not somebody He's not someone who can create his own shot. He's a big. He's a seven-footer. Like He's going to need someone who needs to help him. From what I've seen from Duke, Jeremy Roach has been their best player. Yep. Jeremy Roach is not of the level of someone who can carry you to either an ACC title or the Final Four. So John Shire is going to need those two really super talented freshmen to figure out what their roles are and get healthy and do it all on the fly, and that's asking a lot. Over at Carolina, what we'll see against Indiana tonight is shot selection. I think that's kind of the big issue right now. Actually, there are two issues for Carolina. There's Armando Baycott's health and shot selection. I think uh, wise observers have noticed that Armando Baycott doesn't look to be 100%. We come to find out following the Phil Knight Invitational that he had a lot of ankle pain. And, I mean, they did play four overtimes. Yeah. (laughs) It's a lot of basketball. A lot of basketball against Alabama. Extra half. But apparently he's good to go for tonight against Indiana. I think shot selection is the other big story, and that comes down to Caleb Love and R.J. Davis, who have been taking a lot of threes, and they haven't been making a lot of threes. I think so far on the season – uh, I want to say 
where, where are we at here? I was going to say, I had the stat up. Now the stat went away. So now I have to go back to this. Yeah, so Caleb Love is shooting 24% from three right now. He's 12 of 49 from beyond the arc. And R.J. Davis is 10 of 36 from beyond the arc. Um, you don't have uh, Pete Nance has come in and he's not taking as many threes, obviously, but he's been a little bit more effective right now. He's 10 to 24, but I do think that we, we kind of took it for granted last year, Caleb love playing within the offense and making better decisions. We also took for granted. And I think a lot of folks have kind of come around to, to saying this as it relates to Brady Manick. It felt like every one of his shot attempts was going to go in. And for the most part, they did. Big shots, right? I think those things will eventually work themselves out, and that's the one thing that Hubert Davis is going to try to stress to these guys while they still got some time is work within the offense, man. Don't be chucking up shots, and things will come to you. I mean, that 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 to me is the simple answer for what's going on with Carolina right now. Yeah, it took him some time last year. It took time for Brady Manick to, to fit in. Now, Pete, Man- Pete Nance has done a better job of fitting in, but I don't. Yeah. he's not an apples-to-apples player to what – Brady Manick was. I think, you know, Puff Johnson not being healthy the whole time, mm-hmm. him being back, that's going to help. And will Hubert develop a little bit more of his bench? Will will he try to use some more? <laughs> and, you know, Seth Tremble, think about it. If, if, there if, was no bench last if year. If Caleb right? Love had gone pro, Seth Tremble would be starting right now. Mm-hmm. So I, I expected to see more out of Seth Tremble this year. I'm sure Carolina did too. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see what Hubert chooses to do with his bench. Do you, do you try to get a little bit more out of it? And you try to go from there. It's the OG. I, again, I would I would be less worried about Carolina. You you have a group that you know what you can do. Mm-hmm. With Duke, you have a bunch of new parts and you don't know what you can be yet. There's also not every five star recruit is built the same. No. You brought up the Palo Bancaro thing, right? There's there's levels to these one and done guys uh that we also just assume because they got that top recruiting class, therefore it's gonna be the same as the other top recruiting classes. We know that's not the case. Yeah. The OG alongside Joe Giglio. I'm Joe Ovias. If you miss anything from today's show, check it out on the best of the OG podcast. Subscribe on YouTube as well. Look up 99.9 The Fan. You can watch our segments on YouTube and uh, all the other fun and frivolity that we've got on there. So Matt Rule, former Carolina Panthers head coach, he was fired, what, five games into the season. And it was only a matter of time before he was going to get up prime head coaching job in college now say what you want about nebraska i'm not actually going to disagree with the sentiment that nebraska is no longer a prime job but i think julio you and i can both Heck, agree nine million dollars a year that's a prime that's job. a prime job <laughs> that's the point you can say whatever you want about their actual chances to get back to winning but they're gonna they're gonna pay yeah and people are gonna listen to the fact that they're gonna pay so he's getting nine mil so he does his introductory press conference, and it's typical Matt Rule stuff. It's stuff that I find to be very predictable for a guy who has made his career on culture within a college program. You can get really far in college football being a culture guy because you can be really good at two things in college. You can either come up with something, an offense or a scheme, that's going to revolutionize stuff that eventually other schools will eventually get around to taking from you, okay? Or you're really freaking good at building a culture, getting top recruits, and going out there and out-talenting them. That's how you win sometimes. So I think Matt Rule is a culture guy at best in college. But now he's making the rounds on NFL conversations, which I find curious. 
So he was on with Peter Schrager of Good Morning Football, NFL Network. He has his own podcast. And this is the exchange that Matt Rule has with Peter Schrager about why things did not work out with the Panthers. If you could do it all over again, what would be the one thing you would change looking back on it as obviously it didn't work out with Super Bowl victories or anything like that? I, I, I think I probably would just probably just, you know, uh, probably take in another job. You know, I mean, I think I mean, it's a great place, uh, you know, the wonderful people. Whoa, but I just pause, pause, great, pause, a- pause, pause, pause. I would have taken another job. Great place. But I would have taken another job. Joe, what was the other job? Because remember, there was another job. Oh, the Giants. Could have been the Giants head coach. Mm-hmm. Never forget. And this context is important. I would have taken another job. Yes, the Giants job. But David Tepper came in and won you over with money at the last minute. You felt really, really wanted. So off you go. He swoops in. He throws money at you. You're going to be the Panthers head coach. How do you think things would have gone in New York for somebody like Matt Rule? He would not have gotten to year three. No, he would okay. not have even started year three. That's important. All right, Matt Rule, continue with Peter Schrager, please. We, we, we talked about, hey, we're going to have a, a, a four-year plan, a five-year plan. You know, if you tell me, hey, we got a two-year plan, then then I'm going to go get signed a bunch of free agents and, and do it. So, you know, what was a four-year plan became a two-year and five-game plan real quick. And Interesting. It, it's not about, hey, it's not – and I'm not angry about it. You know, no. at the end of the day, I understand, but – if you're if it's going to be that quick, then then we're going to sign some more free agents. All right, we're gonna... pause, 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 pause. If it's going to be that quick, buddy, where did you think you were coaching? There's no four year plan in the NFL. No, nowhere. No. At most, it's two years. At most. He didn't have the patience, apparently. Dude, Matt, Bubby, you shouldn't have had a third year, but he gave you one. So now we can get into the merits as to why he was given a third year or why he had an opportunity to get things right in a third year. And it could just be that David Tepper was stubborn and he didn't want to pay a guy to not coach. He's like, look, I gave you all this guaranteed money. We're going to make this freaking thing work. But then even by the time he got to game five, it was fairly obvious that this wasn't going to work. So fine, get the hell out of here. And David Tepper ends up saving money because Nebraska's offsetting it with his contract. But you can't go to the NFL thinking you're going to get four years. You're not. And again, I would have taken another job. Where do you think you would have been given that amount of time? Nobody, in, nobody's given you four years in the NFL. In Nobody. New York? Yeah, sure. The Giants. They'll fire you after one season in New York. The biggest problem I have with Matt Rule in these appearances, well, first of all, the question, the first question, it's not like it ended with the Super Bowl yeah, or anything. That's Peter Schrager. Though. Peter. That's um, his thing. Sir. It didn't even end with a not even a 500 season. Right. Like, wow, that's an awful question. That's number one. Number two, listen, at some point in the NFL, you have to outcoach somebody. Yes. In, in, at some point in the NFL, you have to beat the other teams that look like you. Let me remind you, the teams that look like the Carolina Panthers, Matt Rule went 5-10 and 10 against. He went 5-10 and 10 against those teams. You could have a two-year plan. You can have a four-year plan. Damn, man, you could have a hundred-year plan. You go five and ten, that ain't going to get it done ever, mm-hmm. period. So your timeline talk is off, and it's not right. You couldn't outcoach anyone, not a single person. So if you can't do that, you're right. You got to go back to culture. Go Big Red. Let's get some corn. Mm-hmm. Let's be one of us. Maybe, oh, we won't have masks. I can learn. I can learn about the players. You know what I haven't heard yet? Who's going to call your place? Because have you learned your lesson? 
That's why you didn't make it. If you're not going to call your own plays, you better damn well have somebody you trust to call your plays. And I haven't heard yet. Oh, who's it going to be? Yeah, we don't know yet. We, I haven't heard yet. Yeah, and yeah. it better be somebody you know and not the Brady Bunch. Yeah. Because, oh, well, I was told. What were you told? Because anyone at LSU could have told you. He didn't run practices. And all of those two-minute drill problems you had, well, he didn't. Run, he never ran a practice in college. So how are you going to expect him to run a functional practice in the pros? You mentioned the mask thing, right? That goes back to last week when he was on Good Morning Football on the NFL Network, and he talked about, oh, yeah, I wasn't really able to connect with the players, you know, because of COVID and, you know, masks and stuff like that. And it's like, dude, what are you talking about? How many coaches did we talk to during ACC kickoff coming off the pandemic where they talked about how their teams got closer? closer. They spent more time together. They spent more time together. They were in a really tough spot. They, you know, they really got... They made decisions together. It was a true learning experience, and teams benefited coming out of COVID. Dave Doran talked about benefiting coming out yeah. of COVID. Dave Clawson, who really went through it, the man never saw never saw his family. Yeah. Rented an apartment. Came through stronger that built towards the following season. And this guy's talking about, well, you know, I just couldn't connect man-to-man with their guys because of mass. The guy has never shown accountability. But he's doubling down. He does that with Peter Schroeder on his podcast. He goes on with Rich Eisen on Rich Eisen's show, and here is uh, the exchange that's been getting some traction. What do you think did not work out in Carolina um, that you thought was going to work out? What was it? Yeah, I, I think I just, I just think, you know, and I understand why. You know, I just I just think that I was hired to do a, a, a four-year kind of a plan, you know. Um, and so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a guy that historically, you know, in the third year has won. You know, we kind of knew going in, and as I talked to the people there, hey, it might take a little longer just because of, you know, kind of where we were, you know, kind of the end of an era and some, some great, great players retiring and moving on. And, um, you know, to me, if you, if you tell me, hey, I need you to do it in two years, then I'm going to do it differently. I'm going to, you know, sign some more free agents. We're going to do some different things. If you ask me to do it in four years, and, and um, then we're going to build through the draft. And, and uh, I really like the team. I think, uh, you know, when, when they've played well on offense and scored points, they've won like they did this past week. Uh, it's great to see Sam Darnold go out there and, and, and play well. Um, but I think you look at the future of that team, I think it's Derek Brown, Brian Burns, D.J. Moore, J.C. Horn. Um, you know, we were building it to, you know, uh, no no huge free agent signings, no blockbuster trades to try to get the next what? year. And, you know, right, I've heard years. enough. I've heard enough. I've heard no blockbuster trades. What? Dennis, are you sure? Are you pranking us? You, did you Baba Booey Rich Eisen? Yeah, I, I called it. It was, it was a good prank call by me. Did you Baba Booey Peter Schrager? No, that was all legit. That was legit. Okay. I just wanted to double check. I'm just making sure we know who's doing what here. Nobody. Look, Matt, buddy, look, I, I know you're online. I know you're very extremely online on Twitter, so I'm going to look at the camera right here. Did you ever stop and think the reason why the building blocks or, or why the Carolina Panthers have actually looked a little bit better right now under Steve Wilkes is because Steve Wilkes is a better coach than you? Did you ever stop and think the reason why they fired your ass after five games is because they understood that these pieces that they probably believe in weren't going to go anywhere because you were the head coach? Did you ever stop and think that? Head coaches preach accountability all the damn time. All the freaking time they preach about accountability. Matt Rule's going to go into homes and tell parents and tell kids about accountability every single day. What has Matt Rule shown you in the last week with every single media appearance? Not one ounce of accountability. But the guy got how much from Nebraska? How much? $72 million. Okay, I'm in the wrong line of work. 
Wrong line of work. It's the OG alongside Joe Giglio. I'm Joe Ovis. Matt Rule might be number one in my football power rankings, given the amount of money he's making for being a snake oil salesman at this point. Guy's selling monorails to Shelbyville. <laughs>